Hey guys, it's Rich here from JFPN. Just to let you know, this episode was recorded on Saturday the 25th. Um, it took a while to drop because there was a couple of editing problems along with AEW's Double or Nothing taking precedence on the channel. Um, this episode is here to air. Just be aware, we may refer to certain events that we already know have happened in the AEW world um, and speculate on some AEW stuff as if we aren't aware of it, and that's because we are not at the time of recording. Other than that, please have some fun, enjoy the show, and we'll be back with Super Strong Style 16 Episode 3 within the next few days. Thank you very much. time when t- just turning up isn't enough. A time when your dreams are just that little step further than we first expected them to be. A time when you need to go that one step further and stay the course. Now you've created something, you need to bed it in. Show the world what you're here to do and that you're here to stay. In the channel to your left, a man who did that on May the 5th, staying overnight to continue to watch Progress Wrestling Super Strong Style 16, where he continued to see a very tune of amazing competition from the world's best. Weighing in at overworked and underlaid, he's a black belt at buying laptops. His beard is Jay. Yeah. And in the channel to your right, a man who does his own introductions, weighing in at ching ching, bling bling, count the cheddar, it's Bear. This is JFPN. Thank you very much, Jay. This is JFPN. This is Progcast. This is Beard and Bear, Episode 2, Super Strong Style, 16, Day 2. For those of you hoping to hear our thoughts on AEW's AEW's Double or Nothing, God, that's hard to say when you you go into (laughs) timing, you can expect our pre-show hour later today. Do not worry, do not fear. We'll be continuing that on this very channel. That is anchor.fm forward slash jfabe. It will be appropriately dropped later on as you are listening to this. Where you can get all your usual news and speculation from ourselves concerning AEW's endless speculation and reality post kayfabe internet wrestling news. Of course, we are available in other places as well. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and of course, Stitcher. Until then, Spotify. this... 
Spotify, Spotify. Until then, this sounds like progress to me, and we will be here for every single episode of Super Strong Style 16 Tournament, as well as every single episode of Progress Wrestling's output from now until the future. We'll be coming back later this weekend with other content as well. This is JFPN, and we are still alive. How's it going, Jay? All right, mate, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. not doing too bad on this lovely Saturday morning. Yes, yes. Love a good Saturday morning. Get us all started. We have got one hell of a weekend of wrestling Coming up, of course, with AEW's Double or Nothing. Very much looking forward to doing a pre-show for that later. And then, of course, watching it this evening on ITV4, followed by ITV Box Office, which is definitely where I'm going to watch it. Nothing like paying $14.99 for a single show in this modern day of wrestling. How about you, Jay? When are you going to watch that wonderful show? Probably on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I can understand yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. There's stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, just that gonna work. Uh, just gonna just gonna <laughs> lower the 28 weeks later soundtrack there. That was that was good fun. I, I don't know why I chose that. It's just something that I can I can talk over quite nicely. Um, regardless, that is not what we're here today. We we do not have to worry about AEW um, for the next hour, hour and a half, because we are going to be talking about Super Strong Style 16 Day 2. This is yeah, our are. second progcast. Jay, what do you think to this show overall? I mean, it's hard to do a day two of a three-day event and still keep that momentum going. Obviously, you were there, um, and I imagine fairly hung over by, um, by this point. I'm not really that hung over, no. But oh, I was definitely, okay. definitely there, definitely, yeah. definitely on site. So you were perfectly, you were perfectly, um, you were perfectly well rested in regards to the task at hand, which was, of course, um, watching Super Strong Style 16 Day Two, um, because you are that dedicated to your craft. Yes. Opening match. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously commentated as okay. usual by Glenn Joseph and Matt, Matt Richardson, as well as the various other commentators who appear throughout the night. Um, day two is presented in similar form to day one. It's at the Alexander Palace on May the 5th. Um, great opening salvo there from Jim Smallman, who is the master of ceremonies um, at most of these events for, well, at all of these events actually nowadays. Um, for Progress Wrestling. Um, not going to focus too much on that and just go straight in with Aerostar versus Darga. Um, these are two stars who had um, fairly good first round matches, but both of them came up short. So as a result, we got to we got to enjoy um, them in singles competition. Um, yeah, generally yeah. quite like this match. No pyro from Aerostar. Um, <laughs> Very disappointed. I'm going to yeah. assume it wasn't in the budget. I'm going to agree with you there. Maybe he just decided that his hands aren't worth burning. Perhaps that, or perhaps he had a word with the fire marshal. Uh, 
<laughs> Seeing Dogger again, um, obviously I was quite excited that this was the opening match. Um, I really enjoyed him on, on day one. Um, quite enjoyed Aerostar as well. Was excited to see what Aerostar could do um, in a bit more of a in a bit more of a relaxed environment than a first round where he has to where he has to tell a story. Um, yeah, how uh, yeah. Jay? Um, this match kind of got underway um, fairly fairly quickly within the within the actual show. Um, what were your thoughts on on the kind of the opening salvos there? Um, I mean, these two uh, two different types of lucha style. Uh, Aristotle went for a handshake, but it was denied. Mm. So that's also telling a story that Dog will be playing the heel with throughout. Yeah, of course. It's a nice, easy, simple way to commit to that. Um, I mean, you've got two generations of luchadors in the ring, um, and Daga um, keeps with that by um, trying to keep things slow. Aerostar um, hits several front flips to counter. However, Daga super kicks him, bows, right establishes. <laughs> yeah, he does super kick him right in the face. He bows after that um, to establish himself fully as the heel of this match um, before refusing Yeah, he was trying to gain that heel heat there, but people didn't bite on that one. So yeah. It was quite clear what he was trying to do. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Getting that heel, getting that heel heat's nice and easy, but, um, you know, sometimes you have to make it, you have to spell it out, um, especially when people were maybe a little bit, a little bit rattly after the night before, of course. <laughs> um, early heel work and character work from Daga kind of centered around pulling off the mask. Um, Daga obviously is the lucha who does not wear a mask. Um, and it's good to see that element of his character come into play so um, fervently at the start of a match here. Um, Aerostar hasn't lost a wager match and has had four, um, including previously unmasking um, Lucha Legend Superfly in 2014. Um, Dog is kind of showing throughout this he doesn't need that level of um, Lucha persona to be successful in the ring. What do you think about Dog's character work and, and um, obviously how this match continued to progress after that point? Um, it was quite impressive because I think obviously he plays a heel in Dragon Gear, doesn't he? He does. So he's he's more um, used to playing that kind of style in ring. So it plays well against the face of Aerostar, obviously being the high flyer and Daga being the more strike heavy um, competitor. Yeah, I uh, mean, slowing down. This is the actual thing. contest itself. This is something we um, talked about on our. Um, this is something we talked about on our um, piece about Tony Nice and. Um... Oh, Davari. Davari, thank you, Arya Davari, um, at Money in the Bank, in that there was that heel slowing down the match kind of element. It was it was much more subtle in this instance because obviously he still kept true to his lucha slash cruiserweight roots um, while he was doing it, rather than turning into the I'm the biggest superstar, so I'm going to act like I'm Zeus um, thing that pretty much everybody seems to do within the WWE. So it's a nice kind of counterpoint to that kind of match structure and to show how it can really be done to kind of elevate a match rather than necessarily slow it down and turn it into a series of headlocks. Well, yeah, um, obviously if doing a series of headlocks, it will slow down the match completely. Mm. But this still had its high-flying points um, due to Aerostar. At uh, one point, he did a triple jump, didn't he? On, onto from bottom rope, second rope to the top rope, come off to do a Hurricane Rana. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that this was quite is impressive. True. 
And then he did that, and then he turned that into, and then he came with the ropes and did a twisting press. Yeah, that was a good spot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it is truly power versus speed um, in lucha style. What we do see is the difference and variation of styles of the two. Obviously, Daga worked in AAA, um, but he currently works in Dragon Gate, as you mentioned, um, as a member of R.E.D. with Puck, um, Aita, and Takashi Yoshida. And the strong style influence um, also quite shows in Daga's arsenal. There, it's not quite as prevalent as it would be had he have had he have jumped on a jumped on a plane and gone and set foot in Japan for a while. But um, a little bit of old school Japanese um, kind of King's Road in there oh, yeah. as well. Um, really, really kind of, really kind of nice, um, nice stuff there. Of course, um, <clears throat> of course, they continue I mean, there back is, and there forth. Don't they? they do continue back and forth. Um, as you were saying, the dog. Oh yeah, Aerostar has the ability to switch between uh, new and old school style. Uh, which is quite impressive to see. I would love to see him face Fenix. If he has already faced him, I need to find that match. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes they, sense. They would tear the house down with that one. That would be an incredible match to see. I would say they do have kind of the same styles, but they could flow in and out of old and new separately to make a different dynamic to the matches they normally perform. Yeah. I think that would yeah. be pretty cool to see. I mean, this is something that I've realized, um, having watched a bit more Lucha um, over the last kind of three or four weeks, um, I spent some time um, watching a bit of Lucha Forever as well, um, as well as um, a little bit of time in some on some of the um, on some of the more traditional Lucha style um, stuff that I've kind of just found on the internet. And and what I am finding is that there's such a vast variation of styles um, that's on show um, throughout the throughout the Lucha portion of the industry that maybe American and English wrestling fans um, maybe don't get to see as much of as they'd like. Um, even those who, who who do like to swim in the independent wrestling scene um, quite as much as, as the British fan base does. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, I need to venture out and look a little bit more Lucha um, to see what kind of different styles are actually put together and thrown into there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, of course, Daga um, starts taking control um, as the match progresses uh, with his strong style, um, with his more strong style kind of elements, does he not? He does. Um, that takes it back to when he tried to take off the mask, mm. uh, which is the biggest disrespect in Lucha. Yeah, of course. Um, it's, it's very. I think at this stage, very few people are unfamiliar with that element, but the biggest disrespect in Lucha is, is the mask. In fact, so much so that in the majority of Lucha-based Mexican promotions, it's considered a, um, it's considered a, an illegal hold or move. Um, and there was, of course, the story of Rey Mysterio post-unmasking um, having to apply specifically to um, the certifying wrestling body in um, Mexico to return um, with his mask on when he when he first went back. Really? Do- yeah, no, that was true um, because, of course, once it's off, it's off as far as the Mexican yeah. Board of Wrestling are concerned. Um, and that was one of the um, one of the kind of arguing points in that was that technically he was a different lucha um, after he dropped the. Junior, um, and that's one of the reasons why they still make a big thing of that today is the fact that they could they could consider him a different a, a different case of match, masking as it were when he joined WWE and there was no Junior on it um, as Rey Mysterio. Oh, Rey Mysterio that's interesting because would that... technically be two different characters under Lucha tradition. Because after he left, he went back to using Rey Mysterio Junior, earned the independence. 
Um, he, and we're still able uh, to wear his mask. Yeah, I believe it kind yeah. of got a bit blurry after that. <laughs> if I'm utterly honest, I think it was. I think it all became a little bit. Um, I think it all became a little bit kind of yeah whatever it's Rey Mysterio yeah. um, in the end, but certainly in that initial instance, it was that distinction that kind of kind of swayed the body um, in regards to it all. All right, well, you definitely learn something new every day with Rich. <laughs> <laughs> yep, because he's a geek. <laughs> so how does this match end up winding up, Jay? I mean. Aerostar takes control with a trustful, so that's on the top oh, rope. rope uh, top rope jumps back, just just falling into um, Dargo, and then he he rolls outside, and then he hits a high cross body from spring from the second rope. Mm -hmm. That's that new lucha style that's coming through there. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. Um, back in the ring, Dargo hits a spear. AS hits a couple of DDT to answer one from the second rope and one from a. Springs to a high angle kind of DDT. Just, just to interrupt head. you there, does that now make Roman Reigns the 16th best spear in the business? Did I did I note but Dargar on our on our list of people with a better spear than Roman Reigns on um, um on money? In no, the I think he is. Is it? He's definitely up oh, there. Oh, he was in the list, was he? <laughs> well, he wasn't in the list. He is now. Yeah, and so yeah, there yeah, we go. Roman Reigns now has the 16th best spear in the business. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dogger kicks out of two from that DDT. Um, there are kicks back and forth, which leads into a, as you call it, the perisher roll cutter uh, for a two. Yep. Uh, Dogger hits yep. back with a pop-up DVD. Oh, my God. And that, that, gets a that two. was absolutely devastating. It was um, one of his final pieces of effort, offense in this match. And, oh, it just, oh. I, it's one of the most brutal moves um, of this night, um, I feel. Um, maybe It's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and the strength on that move would be pretty hard to do. You need strength to do that move, basically. Yeah, the strength, um, the fluidity yeah. of the movement, the the heavy, the heavy kind of snap into it. Just one of those really, really quality kind of moments that kind of got everyone on their feet. Sorry to keep interrupting you there. As you it was a oh moment with the crowd. Yeah. No, no, no worries. <laughs> Uh, and when it finished with Aerostar getting Dogger to the mat and he hits everyone, what I'm going to call a missile splash. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. You see Rey Mysterio using a lot where you put, you put your hands to your side and then just jump off and yeah, and then extend yeah. your body into a splash. Yeah, I mean, quite popular um, with um, quite popular with um, LAX, I believe, um, in certain in certain kind of shows, isn't it? Um, that that similar kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, um, almost almost kind of completely flat arms by side. Very interesting kind of offense, but it was picture perfect um, ending flurry there from Aerostar. Um, and it was a great splash. Um, uh, textbook Aerostar is, I mean, he's not, maybe he's not, um, maybe he's not up there with Lucha Bros at the moment, but definitely should give be. him time. Give him time. All he needs is that exposure because the fundamentals... Aerostar's had a few name changes through the year as well. Mm. Has he? Has he been... Has he? he has. He has. I can't quite remember what his names were, but I'm sure you can find out, Rich. Using, using <laughs> my, um, the magic of modern technology, um, I, can certainly, um, I can certainly work it out while you take us through the last elements of the match. 
Uh, there's finally a handshake show of respect between the two. Yeah, I mean this does come um, into play later at the um this does come into play later on day three as well. Um I believe um the handshake and the begrudging respect between the two. Um from what I know of day three. But it was a nice it was a nice story. It was really well told and these characters were allowed to kind of that challenge each other on the first night as it were or at least kind of come to a point where it was inevitable that they're going to clash on the second night because of the performance that they both put in and then they're able to um then they're able to meet each other tell a convincing story um and then of course um and then of course conclude that story on night three which you'll be able to hear um later this week um before episode 89 drops on the progress um channel um aerostar previously known as um chiva riada 2 um l akar <coughs> Aquatico and um, El Chamagol. Um, he has been wrestling. And robot noises. <laughs> El Chamagol, um, <laughs> that is. Um, uh, he has been wrestling uh, with Lucha Libre AAA worldwide since 2003, um, as well as um, moving into the American Independent Service Circuit since 2015. Um, that includes appearances for Pro Wrestling, um, Guerrilla, Impact Wrestling, Shikara, Lucha Underground, um, and of course, he was ranked number 166 of the top 500 single wrestlers in the PWI 500 of 2015. In the meantime, um, Daga, I won't, um, I won't summarise this every show, but uh, <laughs> I may as well since I've just given um, Aerostar the same the same kind of quality um adaga as i mentioned on a previous show um he's he's played three um wager matches one or three of them so it really was um three wagers versus um four wagers there um quite interesting it was hair versus um mask previously um He's worked with AAA since 2011 till 2017, and he's been on the independent circuit ever since. He used to have a very Bruce Lee-style look before he cut off his bowl, um, but works for International Wrestling League, Lorado Wrestling Alliance, um, Lucha Underground. He has appeared um, in their trios championship um, well, he was awarded the Trios Championship, to, sorry, um, with Cobra Moon and Jeremiah Snake. And of course, um, he has been the AAA Cruiserweight Champion um, before as well. So fairly, awesome. fairly good pedigree between these two. I would, I would go so far as to say if you wanted to show someone what a quintessential lucha match looks like, um, this would be a good place to start. Um, definitely. On to the quarterfinals. Um, obviously, um, unless there are any other thoughts about this match before we continue, Jay? Uh, my final thoughts for this match was uh, Doggy kept the match slow and methodical pace. Uh, it kept the strong style element to his offense to match words with a surprising contrast of styles. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I, going back to what I said earlier, it was it, it's a great example of the of how much scope there is for um, for difference in um, the lucha style um, and how how two people who you wouldn't necessarily expect to have differing styles to that degree can can really kind of 
show show a range, an offensive range there. Um, and obviously, it was nice to see Daga um, using some of that, some of the more Japanese kind of influences or the more British influences in his offense with the strong style offense. So, really, really did enjoy that. Um, quite a final match between Kyle Fletcher and Jordan Devlin. Um, first thing on my notes in regards to this is that Kyle Fletcher's music is really fucking irritating. Um, I don't know if you, you picked this up. Unless you're into the whole pop punk thing, which I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Don't like it myself. Yeah. In the meantime, um, Jordan Devlin enters this match with a game face. Um, and, of course, his customary progress wrestling competition um, attitude. He is the killer import. And if he doesn't go over here, judging by the confidence on display during his intro, um, I, my notes say that I will eat my own nose. Um, as it's been a few days since I've noticed this, um, I think he wins but i'm not 100 so let's see whether i'll be eating my own nose by the end of this show the energy for this match in the alexander palace arena um was massive these are two of the favorites in the tournament and the atmosphere is probably the best it is so far over this weekend yeah you can definitely feel the importance from both of the wrestlers in the introduction and also the fans at the same time yeah exactly the progress ultras as they are called um which um, is progress's way of saying um, uh, the, the um, people who are always sat in the front row. Um, basically, it's green shirt guy, but with an English flavour. Um, they are <laughs> behind Devlin thoroughly. Um, as I say, he's he's mega face in progress wrestling, as I mentioned previously. Um, and to be honest, it's it's fairly well deserved given the performances that he puts on. Um, both help build up the anticipation okay. with a classic initial lock-up um, and feel-out session. Exchange opens quickly establishing Carl Fletcher as both the stronger competitor as well as a great athletic form. Um, Carl takes Devlin to More the corner. More size advantage, wasn't it? Yeah, very much, yeah. very much so. Um, it's a springboard moonsault early on um, shows that Devlin will have to rely on his experience. Um, he also hits an Iranagi. Kyle Fletcher rolls out the ring to avoid a pin. And Devlin completes a heavy series of offences, including an apron penalty kick to the outside and a 450 splash to get the two count. That wasn't the 450 from the apron then he threw him in, but the two count. Uh quite possibly yes yes that was that was where i got to there um yeah i don't know if you've noted that as well <laughs> but <laughs> i have uh, from the um there was a wrist lock on devlin after that pin um he catches fletcher with an elbow hit i believe it was a kick um and fletcher answers with a muay thai kick to the chest um Devlin for the two count and strikes to the chest having uh, crowd starts to get behind fletcher from this point uh, and then there was a slingshot cutter attempt, which was blocked, but the second time it was hit for the two count. Yeah, of course. And that was by Devlin. Yeah, I mean, this is early within the yeah. match, and it really goes to establish a story for both men. Um, Devlin is the more experienced wrestling. Something for Kyle Fletcher to overcome if he wants to move forward. This is the kind of storytelling that can't necessarily be met in a 50-50 booking environment where one person wins one week and one person wins the other. Um, but this is still, as you noted, um, this is 50-50, at least within the confines of the match, as both are getting equally over with a, with a fairly heavy line of 
of offence. Um, would you say that that's a fair analogy? Yeah, I know. It reminded me of Dr. Um, Gagana versus Andrade. Kind of that kind of level of booking of fifty-fifty wise and intensity to the match. Yeah, as well. I mean it pretty much yeah. pretty much hit its second act immediately. There was no there was no kind of there was no kind of um, there was no kind of slow build um, at all to this. This was um, pretty much straight in. Um, can we think of a match within the red, blue, or yellow brands um, in recent memory that has established such a short and simple story? Um, the only one that I can think of that even touches um, this level of one person trying to overcome the much more experienced wrestler um, and make a name for themselves is, of course, the Alistair Black Velveteen Dream match from um, a year ago. Um, I believe it was a year ago now, maybe, maybe even two, <laughs> because... Maybe yeah. too. Yeah. Um, because obviously, um, yeah, Velveteen Dream, um, he's, it, it just seems to have gone so fast with him. But yeah, uh, can you think of any other matches that establish that story? Yeah. Not the top of my just, head. Not yeah, right so now. we've got, I no. mean, this is like watching. Um, <laughs> I think this is a good example. Yeah, this is like watching Alistair Black yeah. and Velveteen Dream or Johnny Wrestling and Andrade at the level of quality, of course. Um, so exchange continues with Carl using his size as an advantage while Devlin uses experience in order to counter both have to use these relative traits to establish dominance and then capitalize causing a back and forth matchup exchange of cutters with Devlin hitting an Irish destroyer Jay how how did you like the wind down of this match the the finish as it were well the finish of the match was really brutal uh yeah so devlin went for a top rope springboard cutter where flesher was perched on the top rope the same one that happened to lucky kid where he was not lucky enough mm. at all landed straight on the top of his head oh yeah more like a ddt cutter it was pretty brutal that uh, but this was blocked and then they had a series of uh, tombstone attempts uh where flesher came on top with that for a two count uh, there was knees and chops back and forth where they stood. Um, Flesher hits a super kick. Um, and then you get the strong style fighting spirit from um, Devlin. And then another super kick by Fletcher, which led to uh, Devlin hitting a blush headbutt. Fletcher's down. Devlin falls on top of him, gets a three count. Yeah, I mean, um, it was a fantastic series of offence, um, obviously ending in that um, tombstone power driver before the strong style um, raise up. What we really saw here was two people showing us how to make a believable deep match in under 15 minutes. No holding for replays, no pausing for breaks. Um, Dave, Devlin took two super kicks at the end um, with this strong style fighting spirit finish um, and that headbutt immediately seemed to have knocked both competitors <laughs> out. Um, this is so far from what I've seen one of the best matches on the Demand Progress app. Um, it's an example of short form wrestling content um, made for a collection a la WWE Network and I would love to see um, this take front and centre on any future collection that they put um, in regards to this. It's also nice to see that moment um, at the end where people do rush in and kind of you know stick the ice packs on, on each other and kind of it did really give this a give this a feel did, not yeah. too dissimilar from um, some of the more extreme matches you see in New Japan Pro Wrestling. 
Yeah, give a nice uh, feel to the end. Uh, it it even showed that how much the competitors put into that match for for them to pull that spot at the end. Mm. Um, it just gave it a, a little bit more of a level of legitimacy from yeah. that finish as well. I mean, if this I mean, happened, if this happened in an NXT ring, it would be considered a um, it would be considered um, a candidate for the year end um, match of the year um, kind of competition. And as far as I'm concerned, it certainly should be considered when PWI or um, independent bodies are are handing out those awards. Um, after this match, of course, we do see um, we do see the aftermath as Jim Smallman takes back to the ring um, and introduces. Is Lucha Paz, <laughs> Lucha Paz. Jay, Lucha you were there Paz. for this. You were there for this piece. Um, this is a referee known as, um, well, Paz. I think it's Patrick. <laughs> it's Patrick something. Um, but regardless, he ended up being thrown a Lucha mask from the crowd and attempted a six-one. Do a six-one-nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, he said you can do it. Do it. <laughs> was was really good to see this break it up. Um, he ended up. Um, obviously, I don't want to spoil too much um, for anyone who's watching it. But he certainly ended up. Six one nine is crotch into the middle rope. Yes, yes, he he did. It was um, it was a great moment. It was a nice bit of levity after what was a fairly intense um, quarterfinal match, of course. So really did enjoy this. Um, have you have you ever seen this kind of these these kind of shenanigans um, and this level of banter in a in an independent promotion before? Um, Never. Uh, yeah, it's, Never. It's, it's almost as if what um, I don't know if you're ever lucky enough to see a what culture pro wrestling show. It's almost like what that should have been to some degree um if it wasn't taken over by the ego of 17 adams um but no really 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 good um trevor lee versus doganoff um follows this up um i believe um that you may have missed this match in your notes uh, trevor lee versus dragonoff yeah, oh no, there it. you are. There you are. Absolutely. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Looking at looking at Jay's notes, we both like to um, keep our own independent notes in order to allow flow to happen a bit better than it has previously. But um, Trevor Lee comes across as an arrogant heel again um, and states he and Dragunov are both NXT um, in order to kind of get a bit NXT of NXT guys, WWE guys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so obviously kind of sets off this um, sets off this kind of exchange in regards to that what, what are your thoughts on Trevor Lee's um, day two showing in regards to in regards to his heel persona same as day one of course but yeah but the promo was much better this time I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed this one the first one for well, well flat for me but this one was funny mm. <laughs> this, one, this one was on point uh, and then he goes and says Dragunov's name's wrong uh, you know yeah um, that's an intentional that? goof, of course, yeah, yeah. I assume. But um, yeah, no, I very, assume so. Very, very cool. Um, in a callback to his um, previous match, of course, um, he throws a t-shirt in the ref's face during the start of this match, um, trying to blind him to get another low blow attempt in. It's a great callback to the night before. Um, Jay, you're, you actually noted some of this match, whereas um, I... <laughs> I noted the whole match, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, go for it, man. Go for it. <laughs> so, after the two count, 
Dragunov gets back up, picks up uh, Trevor Lee and does a corner DVD, hits a top rope senton, and then hits his finish at the Torpedo for the three count. Indeed, it was um, <laughs> a quick squash, a great piece of storytelling, and a great way to put Dragunov over and show the higher level um, that is expected of people um, on a night like this. Um, Trevor, it, it works character-wise kind of like, as well. Yeah. Yeah, it Badass, does. dirty heel. Mm. There you go. And that's the story was told. Yeah, pretty much. Um, a great piece of storytelling. Really happy with it. Um, a great way to get them over. And they did it in under a minute. So really, really enjoyed that. Um, right. For some reason... On to the next match. <laughs> yes. For some reason... Have I, have I actually done this? Um, my notes next say Aerostar versus Daga somehow. Right. Um, ah, yes, yeah, so I copy and pasted my notes in twice. That's 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 good. Um, the following match um, is, of course, Ginny versus Session Moth. Um, this is um, the women's match. It's a day three fatal four-way title match, qualifying match between, of course, WWE's NXT UK um, superstar Ginny, um, who in this instance is accompanied by Lorna DiMatteo and Session Moth Martina. Um, it's a real class warfare element to this, is it not? Class warfare element. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, Ginny, as the um, head of the House of Couture, um, enters looking great in um, what we presume to be a worked design address, um, at, whilst Martina enters um, grabbing a beer whilst running through the crowd, taking <laughs> sips from it as she wanders around. Um, she even uses the beer to do a Triple H-style spit and pose, except in this case, raises one arm rather than, rather than showing off um, her overdeveloped six-pack which i'm sure she definitely has um much like triple h um the contrast in image between wow. these two competitors is really nice is what i'm saying you've got this um old money young diva look um from Ginny um that she's obviously making waves with in wwe's nxt uk division against session moff's council estate chic kind of kind of look <laughs> <laughs> Session is over, isn't she? She is well over. Yeah. Uh, she is well over with the progress orchards yeah, and the hostile entrance music and the yeah, drinking. Definitely. And just having a good time. She gets full championship streamer treatment from the audience, which, um, uh, to be honest, I, I didn't expect. Um, starts with a spear so brutal, um, it knocks Roman Reigns down to the 17th best in the business. <laughs> 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 and then that rolls through to a knee to the face after that. But no, that, that spear was pretty oh, fierce, let's face yeah. it. I mean, how how somebody is, I mean, no offense to Ginny. She's um, she's a fairly good um, competitor, obviously trained by Jimmy Havoc. But she is um, fairly, fairly small in frame. How that didn't end up snapping a few vertebrae is beyond me. Um, she must have flattened herself out. Um, she must have spread her weight really well in order not to be internally injured from that because i mean it was less a spear and more a gore um but yeah martina has her strength advantage on display um hers is more of a smash mouth style almost like once again a kind of a kind of um 
a kind of Salford Stone Cold Steve Austin. In yeah, I was going to say female Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, oh, if, if Stone yeah. Cold was yeah. was a a woman from the council estate in the UK, yeah, he'd be session moth. Yeah, yeah. Um, she <laughs> she moves forward to clear a series of chairs in the front row um, and goes for a suplex on Ginny, which is interrupted by Di Matteo. She suplexes Di Matteo instead. Really good spot. Got across the characters really nicely, um, fairly quickly. Does it not? It does. I want to go back to the House of Couture. I think that's um, disbanded mm. um, at this point. Uh, it was just Di Matteo uh, left. Yeah. Uh, at this point, as she helps her win the championship in the earlier um, event, um, the last one they did, I can't remember what it's called now. But yeah, that, and then from there they disbanded because they threw the rest of the House of Couture to Jordan Grace, and then Jordan Grace beat the crap out of them. From there they disbanded. Oh, I see. Um, well, that makes that makes a bit more um, sense. I mean, it's the way that um, Ginny, um, I believe this to be, um, it was certainly billed on the night as her last match with Progress Wrestling, yeah. Um, yeah. which um, kind of ties into the WWE's whole thing about um, about wanting to um, move their NXT competitors away from um, appearing for other promotions due to risk of injury. Um, obviously, some of them have um, contracts that um, do state... Um, a time limit on how long they are able to do that. Um, Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate, for instance, their initial three-year contracts um, allowed them to work for other people. Um, and now, um, obviously, that kind of came to an end towards the end of two, um, 2018. Um, and I believe that Ginny's will have been on a shorter reign because obviously they were moving in that direction. Ginny uses this um, gap in the match um, while there is this exchange with Demetteo um, to take advantage soon after. She capitalizes um, using kicks to the back of the head. However, um, this is followed by, um, as you note it, um, twisting high angle neck breaker um, there. By Moth, yeah, and Jenny tries to mount some offense again, but gets a backstabber for a trouble. Uh, both are quickly to their feet. Uh, Session Moth uses her legs to put Jenny into a hammerlock and performs a crucifix powerbomb. Yeah, I mean, that was a good spot. Really enjoyed that. Really, really good spot. Ginny's big mistake taking her into the middle of the match is a right arm to a kneeling moth um, who grabs, maintains wrist control, and delivers those two close fist strikes to the jaw and then that backcracker um, as well. So, really, really nice kind of middle of the, this match um, that really tells a great story. Um, Ginny spikes with a satellite DDT, which looked kind of hard to pull off while in such a fashionable dress. Jay, um, you, you, you're, not, you're not a stranger <laughs> to the odd satellite DDT. Um, do you think you could do one in a dress as fashionable as Ginny's? Well, it's nice and tight, so it should be fine. Yeah. Um, Luch yeah. Hashtag Lucha J, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Hashtag Lucha, Lucha J. Yeah. Yes. yes. We'll make a video. We'll post it of me doing a satellite DDT on Rich. In 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 um a in a, <laughs> in a dress. dress yeah yeah that's, that's definitely definitely one for the 2019 highlight reel um at the end of the year I think certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Ginny continues to show off her submission style. Um, I think this is, um, is this uh, towards the flatliner stage of the match? 
Yeah, so uh, session work runs at Ginny, uh, which refers to a flatline onto the second turnbuckle into an acid rainmaker. And then she performs submission. Uh, I can describe it, but I can't remember the name of it. Well, Ginny shows off her submission style throughout the match with nice submissions. Her overarching story um, is now coming into play um, throughout this match. She shows a vicious mat-based style that she's picked up from a trainer, Jimmy Havoc, in order to gain an advantage. Um and this advantage may, um, stays until she makes the mistake of going lucha as a head scissor is caught and moth steps through into the Styles clash position. Um, but she one steps into the walls of Montenegro, um, then sits down. <laughs> walls of moth. Walls, walls of moth. That, was, that would have been easier yeah. than the walls of Martineco, <laughs> um, actually. Um... <laughs> into the walls of moth. <laughs> Uh, but Demetrio grabs Jenny's hand and pulls her for the rope break, which uh, stops yeah. that and puts an end to that one. Yeah, after that, um, Ginny hits a low blow um, after a rollout. Um, she gains an advantage, and there are back-and-forth covers um, as the two keep their steam. And then there is that moment with the double springboard code breaker we both noted this um it was clearly one of the high points of the match um what did you think about the execution of this what did you think as a whole um to the match up until this point um no offense to session boss but for her woman her side you wouldn't think she could double spring into a code breaker mm, definitely so yeah she, she did it um with ease as well it was pretty of of the word I'm trying to use, but it was awesome. Yeah, um, I mean, after that we get our um, we get a f- more of a screwy finish kind of coming in. In that Matteo tries to grab Moff by the hair. Moff headbutts Matteo. Ginny attempts a cover um, with feet on the ropes. Ref spots. Moth manages a roll-up pin. Um, fairly good match. Um, one of the better um, women's matches I've seen in a while, um, to be honest, at least in a while. Did you enjoy this one, Rich? Um, <laughs> I did. I did. It may be a shock to you, but I... I, I yeah. Um, uh, I... D- <laughs> I don't know. You know what I like, Jay. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I really did like that. Um, I, it's, yeah, it... She ends up in the ring with Moff. She raises her hand, um, applauds her. The two hug. Moff leaves Ginny in the ring, um, and Ginny takes a bow to each of the four sides of the ring in traditional progress wrestling standard. Um, she leaves the promotion with kayfabe switched off, um, and, of course, as a face to a standing ovation for everything that she's done so far. Good curtain call there, um, Jay. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, it's definitely the best I've seen, Ginny. Um, I mean, with no restrictions, she can definitely put in a really good wrestling match. I mean, does WWE have too many restrictions? I think um, I think there is a overarching command with the women to um, for them to maintain their um, maintain their posture, as it were, possibly um, not not their standing posture, but actually their um, their kind of their glamour. I suppose would be a better word for it throughout a match. Um, and I think some moves might, uh, this is just me speculating, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was still some moves that maybe women aren't allowed to do that men are, um, or certain women aren't allowed to do that men are, um, possibly to maintain their image. Would you, would you say that that sounds like WWE? Cause I sounds mean, like WWE, we are just rumor and innuendoing it now. 
I, dude, if, if, I mean, if that is the case, I mean, it does sound like them, but they need to loosen their reins and let them just go um, yeah. to, to really show what they can do. Because obviously... Yeah, I mean, uh, well, the most most of the fans have been saying that WWE needs to lose their reins and maybe let them go for years. But that's that's not really that much of... That's not really part of the um, part of this match, Jay. Because of Roman Reigns. See, that was the pun. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah. I got it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what your thoughts are that pun on Twitter. We are available <laughs> at JFabe. Well, I really J-Fabe. enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Well, you can always come to us and tell me why I'm a dick. Um, and that's through Twitter. That's at JFabe Podcast. That is at JFABE Podcast. Um, but if you want to tell Rich to his own to his own Twitter, yeah. it's R J Fabe. Yeah, that is R J F A B E. Um <laughs> or of course you can leave a message. Um you can leave a message and maybe a little song um and it might get played like you heard at the start of the show. Um I in answer to your question, I do believe that WWE may have some more restrictions on women that are oh, not necessarily... Ukulele covers are welcome. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> ukulele covers are more than welcome. Um, yeah, I would I would watch a lot more of the women's product on WWE if they were, um, if they were allowed to be as equivalent um, to the male competitors that I see on the show as these guys were, because that was, that was a really, really good time. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it and really behind Session Moff she may actually be one of my favourite wrestlers at the moment um, just because of what? <laughs> what's going on? what's happened? <laughs> I know I know I did at one point say that there would only ever be one um, for me and her name was Rita and she was beautiful oh Rita come back to me Moving on, um, we get a (laughs) promo vid um, that um, it's my first promo vid that I've seen from um, Progress Wrestling. Um, Really like the editing of it. It's it's a good way to build a match. Um, It showed me everything I needed to going into this. There was one in the first day. Was there? Are you sure? Was there? No, I don't think there was. Oh, no, there wasn't. No, I'm confusing myself. It's fine. Yeah, so this was actually the first promo vid I'd seen um, in this context. Um, I mean, I have gone back and watched other stuff in the archive that also came with promo vids after that. Um, Usually revolving around Jimmy Havoc and hardcore matches for some reason. They seem to like to promo before a hardcore match to justify its existence, which um, seems a bit weird. I don't think you need to justify a hardcore match. You need to have a hardcore match to justify its existence. But I think think that could just be because a hardcore match is usually a blow-off match anyway, and they like to kind of tell the story if it's necessary before a match. Really really got me. Yeah, it was was a really good video i mean it got me really interested into the matchup obviously not knowing the story being new to the product yeah um, of course. yeah it lets you know exactly what was going on before exactly beforehand. um this is a hardcore match between do not resuscitate which consists of drew parker chuck mambo bill eva and spike trivet um versus the team of mark andros mark haskins um with his wife vicky and jimmy havoc um they were um added to that with el ligero who is there for um in their 
place of Eddie Dennis, who um, has an arm injury and is therefore on commentary at this point. Um, things to know going into this match are, of course, that um, Eddie Dennis and Mark Andrews previously had a um, tag team partnership um, that hasn't really been seen together in nearly two years at this point. Um, and of course, he really hates DNR and they really hate him. Um, upon the entrance, um, DNR um, DNR enter the ring um, with um, Bill Evers on the mic. Um, he is the guy who looks slightly like a um, like a Chinese knockoff of um, Bray Wyatt. Um, Except he's English, obviously, but more in the quality of how much of a knockoff he seems to come not across. Chinese. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> and also not Chinese. No, no, I was kind of like a, a chi- Chinese Disney words, Chinese Disney World style knockoff. I suppose would have been a better way to put that, but yeah, he's um, he just he, he comes. He's not even Chinese. Yeah, I know, but you know when the Chinese take something that's that's um, that's from the West and they make a knockoff that kind of looks like like it but doesn't doesn't really kind of hit the same notes that's what i mean that's what okay if that makes sense um but the mic wasn't working for him when he came to the ring um he's probably the most main wwe roster worthy person in this match um in regards to his mic skills um and um his character this is especially considering the lack of success that faced jimmy havoc when his trademark extreme side was neutered for the wwe uk pilot way back in early 2018 um great heel work on entry from dnr they look fucking ruthless and I, I can't for the life of me remember what made me write that note, but I, yeah, it's certainly accurate. They they go from different areas of the audience and basically get as arsy as they possibly can. Yeah, and people are sticking a bit of fingers in their face. Like, you know, why not? Yeah, of course. Um El Laguero then turns up in street clothes, great orange mask. I prefer this look um, outside of NXT UK, um, where they have a, max, a mask that doesn't necessarily just have the British flag on it. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I'm not a big fan of them adorning every single person on that roster with flags. Um, yeah, a saucy Vicky um, from Worcestershire. Um, has great interactions with um, the crowd. This is Vicky Haskins, of course. Um, great crowd interaction as well from Jimmy Havoc. Um, he, in fact, um, you said you had a note about Mandrews as well because I've got nothing on Mandrews. <laughs> yeah, it was a really strange scene in a hardcore setting. Um, I, I don't know. It just seemed for his character to be in a hardcore match doesn't make any kind of sense to me any aesthetic sense um, at all. yeah it made sense them to be in, in that ladder match with, with uh dennis but this type of match i don't know it just it just, it just seemed out of place yeah no i can i can understand that um he doesn't especially when he doesn't feel like the kind we'll of get to that. well he does feel a bit like a fish out of water in this context but i mean if you look back at um some of the some of the wrestlers who weren't supposed to be hardcore wrestlers who stepped into that environment and it really upped their game a great example that comes immediately to mind is of course um randy orton um and to a lesser extent um edge um both of whom um kind of tempered themselves as characters 
with um, a very good showing in hardcore matches um, on the grandest stage of them all. Um, have a the big daddy, the roller coaster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Havoc, of course, um, starts off with great crowd interac- interaction. He takes a beer from a fan um, and fan. takes a, a couple of swigs and then a mouthful. And then he uses um, the beer to spit it at Trevitt. This is a very nice reversal of Trevitt's gimmick, um, which, of course, involves bringing a bottle of champagne down to the ring and spitting it in the face of his opponents. It's, it's a nice kind of a nice kind of reversal of that um in order to start the match off um so he's like rich kid goes hardcore yeah um that's pretty much that's pretty much um he's on the rich kid um rich kid self-destruct i've got enough money to bail myself out of anything kind of um kind of kick at the moment um he started uh, there was a great moment in his six-way match at the um unboxing live um unboxing live three um where he came down to the ring and he taught um he talked at length about how rich he was and then repeatedly got kicked in the back by all the other um competitors who were ganging up on him um and it was just it went on for a good five minutes of them just penalty kicking him after penalty kick in the back and eventually he stood up turned around and just yelled do you have any idea how much this fucking back is worth um really really (laughs) good character work from him and it's quite clear why he's in the position he is um within the within the company definitely being the secondary mic man um for dnr as a whole So these drawing pins. Oh, that's so funny. Drawing... These drawing pins, Jay. So these drawing <laughs> yeah. pins. Havoc starts off the match by grabbing some drawing pins. He sticks them into Drew Parker's head and then headbutts them into his face. <sighs> this was the... what a way to get Hardway Color at the start of the match. It's just Jimmy fucking Havoc, isn't it? Mm. All over. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, starts to... Um... Well, that tells the story of I fucking hate you. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a very subtle story from Jimmy Havoc, but um, one that does the job It works, quite... it yeah. works. Um, this turns into a big schmoz, which kind of, kind of continues um, on the inside and the outside um, throughout. Um, Great body drop. Just a lot going on. Yeah. Either corner of the arena, just action happened everywhere. Yeah, you kind of have to watch this match to fully understand the level of chaos. Um, but I think all that me and Jay can do now is just call out spots. Um, because at this point, <laughs> actually getting any form, That's of, all I've got. any form of flow from... Well, mine's exactly the same. Any form of flow from this match is just punctuated by just loads of spots happening in the ring. Um, take, for instance, the great double Pele kick from Mark Andrews. Really, yep. really nicely that was, that positioned. Was a, good one. a great double, a great back body drop on the floor um, from one person to another. I couldn't even recognise who was who at this point. It was so, so much going on. Um, a seri- double stomp on Havoc, evading an added Raymaker. Yeah, um, I think that was um, Parker. So it was a standing one. Yeah, of course. Um, a great series of drop kicks from Haskins um, and Havoc while in Cobra clutches. Um, double boots to Bill Eva. Um, I. Love Bill Eva 
having a chair in particular that is red. Um, all of DNR got a chair and Believers was red, conforming to um, his red corduroys and red microphone um, microphone muffler. It's just little touches like that that really kind of emphasize um, his position as the color man um, within the group. Um, really, really do enjoy that. Um, DNR sets up some chairs in the ring. Um, this is in the sideways fashion um, that was popularized um, in, I believe, um, the Jimmy Havoc um, match um, just before Sheffield um, with, I want to say, no, their name escapes me, but yeah, they, they crisscross these, these chairs in the ring, put them on their side. Um, meanwhile, Vicky gets a multicolored baseball bat and cricket bats for, um, of course, the team of the good guys, which is what I'm going to call them. Um, Ligero gets an orange. The good guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have Ligero with an orange cricket bat, um, whereas everyone else has barbed wire covered, um, barbed wire covered um, baseball bats. And in the ring, you've got Believers with a red chair, whilst everyone else has black ones. Really nice way of kind of characterizing these two teams um drew parker has a history of havoc um he leaves the ring and gets forced back in by um vicky and mark haskins after going after him um great tactical play overall it plays like a four-way scramble to the high ground throughout the first half of this match would you say that that's that's kind of a way of putting it um yeah yeah um Obviously, my notes are a bit out of link think with yours. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I'd just <laughs> say pick, pick, pick some spots, man. Pick some spots that really kind of jumped out to you. Um, I mean, going, going, going back a little bit. I mean, Richard's had a hand. Drew Parker nearly got a Walking Dead ending <laughs> <laughs> when they was all standing around him with base with barbed wire, barbed wire baseball bats, yeah. uh, looking like they were going to smash his face in. Mm. He gets pulled out. Um, how it takes. Two nasty bumps on his chair, nice chairs. Yeah, of course. Right to the yeah. back. That was that looked painful. Yeah, it was like um, it um, was like a, what was it? It was what was, was the actual bump that he took? It was like a crucifix bump, I believe, wasn't it? It was like a side slam, but yeah, there was a bigger one. I think it might have been a crucifix. Yeah, crucifix, crucifix bomb straight onto the um, straight onto the crisscross setup chairs um, on their sides in the middle of the ring. One of the more brutal um, brutal piece of chair work I've seen in the last year. The most brutal chair work I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, it's... Not even just a year. The only thing that it kind of even leads me to be reminisced um, to, because obviously you get the... um, I mean, yeah, we saw saw LAX versus the Lucha Brothers, and they did some amazing things with chairs, but that was very kind of... That was very Southern-based. That was very slam-based, but this was was sides of the chairs, strong bits. Um, They weren't hitting the soft, bendy points of the chairs, but actually... This was the... Japanese match kind of yeah, chair this, this work. This was really kind of insane chair work. Um... <sighs> the announcer calls the ladder steps. Um... The ladders. Um... They're called ladders, mate. <laughs> I, th- I think he should find a middle ground and call them step ladders because they are only about four foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, but they're both right. Fine, yeah, yeah, whatever. Or, no, or both wrong. <laughs> Or both wrong. <laughs> or just both yeah. wrong. <laughs> you're both losers. I'm right. Um, <laughs> what did you think to? Um, <laughs> what did you think to? Of course, the mic work um, from 
Oh, thing of me, Bob. Welsh guy. Eddie Dennis, that's it. Mandrews. Eddie, Eddie Dennis. Dennis. What did you think to Eddie yeah. Dennis in his commentary? Um, he gave the perspective of being in that storyline. Mm. He gave this perspective of being able to give the story over over the whole whilst the other two were calling it. So yeah, it added a new dimension and a new depth, I think, to, to the to the whole match. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. he gives some good commentary throughout, um, and he's maybe not ready for a, a lot of mic time in NXT UK's polished product where he's working from someone else's script. But I feel he's. Oh uh, yeah, I hate I, I hate Eddie Dennis in the, in, the, in NXT yeah, UK. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, I mean, maybe that's progress. him doing his job. I fucking love him. <laughs> but yeah, he is. <laughs> no, it's it's just his whole wrestling style and just the whole big man, I'm going to beat you up gimmick that he's got doesn't work for his size. He may be tall, but he's very thin. Yeah, and that kind of does come across. You are entirely right. And he's not able to, um, I don't know whether someone's had a word in his ear, but he's not He's not given the opportunity to utilize some of his, um, some of his more aerial maneuvers as exactly. it were um but yeah no he's perfectly suited yeah. to a more sports-like presentation of of mike's skill um he added a second layer of color um to the usual commentary team of whoever they are i'm not gonna those yeah, guys those guys they're, they're a great commentary team um i just haven't learned their names yet because this is our second show um yeah. scissors come out did he even use the scissors? I don't know. <laughs> I genuinely don't they know. Um, they held them up. The scissors got held up and then they just sort of disappeared. Yeah, it was a bit of a shame that. Um, Spike Trivet um, has a good champagne, quote, end quote, champagne um, to the face of Parker, um, which is followed by an insiguri. Um The only real problem with this spot was that um, we saw him reach for a fan's bottle of water in order to get this champagne um maybe that's something that they should have sorted in the edit um but to be honest in a match this good i'm not going to necessarily criticize it too heavily um he gets caught in a triangle from vicky shortly after um did you see this what were your thoughts i did yeah no that, that was a good spot um it was so you got mark haskins and vicky haskins doing um, the same submission on two of dna do not resuscitate. Yep. Oh, there's one you can say without okay. abbreviating. <clears throat> Do not resuscitate. DNA. Yeah, like usually I'm the Do one who resuscitate. has to. I'm yeah. the one. I'm the one who has to say the whole name of the stable, and you're the one who has to. Ah, yes. right. <laughs> I can say this one, it's fine. <laughs> Los Cinco Grenobles dinner. Do not resuscitate. <laughs> <laughs> lost in carbon lost in I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, do it no. lost in carbon yeah no <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah no, it, so Chuck Mamba's got some really weak looking chair shots yeah I I, I don't know maybe uh, how long has he after he beat the hell out of, Vic, uh, of um, Vicky how long has he been um, <laughs> involved in this whole thing because he, he almost and no offence to Chuck Mumbo um, in general if I'm completely wrong but he kind of struck me as the um as the kind of black sheep in this entire situation um almost i don't know he just kind of felt to me like he didn't 
maybe necessarily have as much Want buy-in. To hit someone with a cheer. Yeah, he didn't maybe have as much buy-in to the hardcore format um, as everyone else on Do- in Do Not Resuscitate. Um, and I don't know whether that's that's kind of part of his character work or whether that's just him not being quite as used to it. Um, but yeah, it could be it. Yeah, I mean, he does always seem to be a little bit out of place, does he not? I don't think he seemed out of place um, with this. I mean, he's got the intensity to go with the rest yeah. of them. Um, he brings that out really well, and his promo work is spot on. Yeah, no, of course. Um, as a heel. Um, it's just a chair shot, so he just needs to hit them, actually. Hit yeah, them. I mean, he reminds me um, <laughs> He reminds me of a wrestler I saw in the 70s called Cat Weasel Jr. Um, really, really quite something going on um, with that. And maybe he would be much like Cat Weasel Jr., be more kind of suited to um, a less hardcore style, um, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he could be another Mandrews. Indeed. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> There's a long series of spots, um, which I mean, there's, they're, t- they're way too numerous for um, me to go into at this stage. Um, but there's a long series of st- spots, um, which eventually lead to a showdown in the middle of the ring. I think um, you also noted that there is a, um, yeah, there is a paella kick. A paella kick? Are we going to call it a paella kick? <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, that's Pele. That's not here Oh mind. no, sorry, I'm I'm no, I'm way no. up on I'm way up on the notes. I'm right at the start of the match. The power driver yeah, spot. You mentioned the power driver spot earlier while we were in our pre-talk in regards to this. You just said pile. Yeah, there's, remind, a, there's you a, said, a power driver. Remind me a pile driver spot, Rich. <laughs> yeah. And now I can't remember what the power driver spot is. Cool. Um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Well, uh, there's a long series of spots anyway. Um, it's really, really good. It would be hard for us to really tell you the sequence of events in this match, other than the fact that this was a back-and-forth schmoz that really was um, something to behold throughout. Eventually, it led to a showdown between Do Not Resuscitate and um, Mark Andrews and Eddie Dennis, who had um, who had been tempted out of the spot from Do Not by Do Not Resuscitate, um, the spot on commentary, into the middle of the ring. Um, embracing a long-term story yeah. arc between the two, does it not? It is, yeah. So Chuck Mumbo goats um, Eddie Dennis into the ring, mm. uh, which then brings the rest of Do Not Resuscitate to all sides of the ring to then get into the ring to beat the crap out of him. But it's Mark Andrews who saves him. They take them out, they hug, they embrace, but it's a big story arc for them, which means their story is finished yeah they're friends again yeah i mean um their their feud on a basic level um is um eddie doing the typical wrestling thing of um turning on a long-term friend out of jealousy for their success um but eddie kept um eddie kept a very kind of coherent story throughout um, in regards to that, much like um, in that Chris Jericho's um, Chris Jericho's heel turns were always kind of true to his character. It was kind of, it was kind of considered hard to disagree um, with Eddie's thoughts in regards to this. Anyway, um, Mark still really cared about Eddie um, and had avoided confrontation with him in a way not dissimilar 
um, to the Undertaker and Kane in the um, in the mid to late nineties, um, and it led to a real split of opinions amongst the Progress um, Originals. Apparently, um, sorry, the Progress Ultras. Um, Team Mark, Team Eddie, um, that kind of element. Um, they finally faced each other the previous year at Fine. Super Strong Style 16, 2018, um, and um, it was settled um, in quite a interesting way which i won't spoil for everybody if they're going through the um if they're going through the archives and, and plugging through it but this was this was the coming together after the after the after the time apart um that happens with these type of relationships at times um and these type of friendships so um really big payoff for the audience um very not distant it was progress's own kind of cota and omega moment um really and um you could hear it in the fans a lot of them were very very happy to see that story arc um come into um fruition eventually so really like that um three death valley drive death valley drivers um so yeah on the outside yeah. the two through tables and yeah. one on the apron yeah. um that was kind of cool um and of course the ogs um which is what they're calling these um this team of four um against dnr um they won um yeah really yeah. quite something was it not yeah they yeah that's Rainmaker and also Time. That possibly could have been their finisher when they was a tag team. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, as you as you were saying, there may have been broken up by the reception there, but it ended with Drew Parker um, with an acid Rainmaker and a kick to the chest from Haskins at the same time. Um, and yeah, no, it was quite a nice quite a nice end there, wasn't it? It was. It's it's definitely one of the best team on team hardcore matches I've seen in very long time yeah it is um announced um towards the end of that match by the commentary team that um drew parker will be heading to japan for a season doing death matches um it's unknown where he's going do you have any idea where it is he's going um in japan it wouldn't surprise me if it is a bjj Okay, okay. I mean, so it could be BJJ, could be um, somewhere like um, DDT, perhaps. Do you reckon, or would that be too small a promotion? I mean, DDT isn't really deathmatch based. Uh, if he's going to go into do deathmatches, it would probably be that one. It in probably my opinion, will be BJJ. But I don't know that for sure. But mm. big Japan, big Japan pan, Japan pan wrestling. Yeah. BJW, yeah, Big Japan Wrestling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, it's a very exciting time for Drew Parker. Um, I am Hi. just slightly saddened that I won't be seeing more of um, more of his work going forward in the UK, but I'm hoping that he does come back because he has a very interesting look, um, a really interesting um, fixation, and it is announced. Um, is it announced at this stage? No, no, he's not involved in the announcement that comes later on regarding um, Jimmy Havoc. That's someone else. But um, I, I did see his death match with Jimmy Havoc um, from a while ago. Um, I can't remember which event it was at, um, but it's one of the more brutal death matches that I've seen. Certainly a great piece of television. Um, if you're into your archive stuff, seek it out. Um, I may find it and let you know on a later podcast where 
that was and when. Um, any other thoughts on the first half of the show um, before we move on to the second half after a brief break? Great first half of the show. Yeah. Um, you were you were probably what, what loving more, it. More, what more could you ask for, for a first half of the show? Mm. I mean, it had everything, didn't it? Oh, except Brock Lesnar. Eyes, yeah. lows, blood. <laughs> yeah, missing that Brock Lesnar. Yeah, of course. I, I think he should. I think he should win every match. <laughs> we will be back after these words from our sponsors. Surprise, surprise! It's us. Um, I we really need to record new adverts at some point soon. We can do that. Um, at some point soon. Yeah, yeah, we probably <laughs> can. Um, I don't know. Let's let's give these people let's give these people what they want, and let's give them let's give them an advert straight out, straight up now. <clears throat> hey Jay. Hey. Hey Rich. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just watching progress. Oh, okay. Oh. Well, what I'm doing is what? I'm subscribing to our Twitter and also um, our other various ways with which you can get in contact with us. This includes Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocketcast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Um, what I'm also doing is switching on the notify button so that I am always notified when there is new content from my favorite two podcasters, Beard and Bear. That's such a good idea. I think I'll do that right now. Yes. What the, what you yes. could also do is send me a message or send Beard and Bear a message, and they might even get back to you. They definitely will, actually. Or even. Um, yeah, they definitely Or will. even have it on the next show. Yes. To answer your questions. You could, too, be a podcasting star without putting any of the effort. All you have to do is get in contact with us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocketcast, Republic, uh, Radio Public, sorry, and Stitcher. Um yeah, we we do the best yeah, news and we do the best wrestling news with with two British guys who are slightly amateurish that you can get. So yeah. subscribe to us, subscribe to us. Say, Jay, say something funny to finish it off. Yes. Advert. Advert. And that's 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 it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> So we're back with the second half of Super Strong Style 16. Um, and there are a few more matches uh, to go. Um, of course, starts off the second half nice and strong. We get Kylo Riley versus Paul Robinson. Um, yeah, I was really looking forward to this one, Jay. Were you, were you anticipating this one um, with the fervor of somebody with a bag full of anticipation and nowhere to put it? Yeah, the contrast does, isn't it? I mean, obviously, Paul Robinson has got a brawling against the heavy striking and Matt game from Kyle O'Reilly. Definitely a contrast. And the story that was told throughout, obviously, explained was quite an interesting one coming from Paul Robinson. Yeah, I mean, Paul yeah. Robinson's a really scary fucking man. Um, just to break the fourth wall a bit, don't expect to hear Paul Robinson appearing in any of the skits at the start of any episodes anytime soon because he will probably track me down and make a new hole to fuck. Um, Kyle O'Reilly, on the other hand, uh, he antagonizes Paul Robinson in the early going um, and frustrates him quite a bit. Um 
yeah, just kind of yeah. frustrates him into almost leaving the match at one point. The only advantage Robinson can get um, at all is by getting a few extra chops in um, when he's on the rope. Um, quite a strong start for this and two characters with very heavy amounts of equity going into this um, going into this event, starting in the second half quite strong here, weren't they? They were, they were, they stopped with standing switches and then a snap mirror by O'Reilly, a kick to the spine. Uh, old school headlock takeover with head scissor segment where they did that over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it yeah. was a good, it was a good level of frustration um, that was being shown um, by Paul Robinson. Um, Kyle O'Reilly clearly has the reach and, and the kind the of height size, advantage. size advantage. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, kind of fairly good. In fact, it, it carries on until we get a Luthez um, press with open hand strikes, um, which was one of the only pieces of offense that Paul Robinson could really get in um, fairly early um in order to kind of turn the tide uh, long five minutes followed that of fairly great leg work from paul robinson um really having to show his ability to work on the legs um o'reilly limping and selling this nicely as the match continued um his offense towards o'reilly really starts damaging him um as the as the match kind of winds on um particularly based around a solid foundation um of the mac game that kyle o'reilly so aptly displayed in the night before um highly leg focus coupled with high flying offense to the upper body from um paul robinson really showing why it's important to take out the base of an opponent um in the in the early parts of a match when you are so mismatched with size and telling that story perfectly yeah paul robinson i've not seen many of his matches but it looks like he is on top top of his game um yeah, I'm fully, fully impressed. He's definitely one of the hated, hatest, hatest, hated men. M yes, most most hated. <laughs> in I Britain, think, is the... I would say. Yeah, um, I mean, he comes he comes from the sort of Essex who were very um, who were very kind of high flying. Him and Will Osprey, very high flying couple of wrestlers. Um, he had a he had a really high flying um, game as well in how he would how he would present in that team, um, and obviously. Obviously, it was um, it's kind of in a contrast to his tough man, um, tough man gimmick that he's is on display here. He shows throughout the the quintessential brilliance of um, going for the legs as a strategy. It's a great example for young aspiring wrestlers as to the advantages of working on the leg to tell a simple story. It weakens the base um, within kayfabe, and in the case of a wrestler like Kyle O'Reilly, makes his very leg heavy striking arsenal much weaker. Um, it simultaneously showcases O'Reilly's strengths by showing what you've taken away whilst highlighting the weakness that you've imposed upon him over the course of a long over the course of a long kind of um map based leg working game like that um jay um o'reilly kind of makes yeah. a comeback further down the line doesn't he does he starts dominating with a series of kicks uh, and then some floats over butterfly suplexes with a swing out face plant and then a knee bar. Um, so yeah, it transitions to a knee bar. Yeah, I mean after that. Yeah, he um, he yeah. continues to knee to the hamstring, I believe, doesn't he? Uh, no, that was in a standing position, and that would be after the knee bar, I do believe. 
Uh, yeah, that sounds, me, yeah. sounds... Mistake me if I'm wrong is not a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Mistake me if I'm wrong. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, dear, dear. Um, yeah, Robinson, Robinson breaks free um, eventually from this offense, does he not? And, and continues... Yeah, he hits to... a low drop kick, attempts a spear from the second rope, uh, but that is caught, and then he catches him into a guillotine. Um he was so close to becoming nice to becoming yet another, um, well, to knocking Roman Reigns down to that 18th place run when it comes to... He hit it on the first night. He did. On the first day against Darby Allen. So. Oh, well, in that case, oh, well. yeah, I'm, I'm going to count that as a win. Um, Roman Reigns now has the 18th best spear in the business, ladies and gentlemen. 18th best spear in the business. Um, wasn't it interesting how Paul Robinson had to adapt um, in order to meet O'Reilly um, and become a legitimate threat to him? Yeah, no, he had to change it. He started to adapt. He had to go back to his high-flying um, attributes that he had before he turned into this brawler, this hardcore-style brawler. Mm. Um, yeah, to try and to try and match the um, abilities of Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah, there was no, was... there was never going to be a counter in the in this in this pure strength game that O'Reilly clearly dominates in when he's against a star of this um, a star of this diminutive stature. I suppose. Um, please don't um, focus on me saying that if you ever listen to this podcast, Paul Robinson, um, because um, you know you have a larger-than-life character. And don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. <laughs> Scary man. <laughs> oh, we got to go to a progress show. And then you can stand up and shout at him and let him push, you down, push him down. Yeah, I, 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 I will go quiet. I will, I will bury myself in my strongbow dark fruit at that event. <laughs> you should wear a hat saying bear on it. <laughs> if anybody if anybody wants to purchase a bear hat for me it's apparently on jay's amazon wish list <laughs> feel free to check that out <laughs> helps identify me to my of um to to my my stable mates um bear just just no, just me that. isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah a little bit um there's some back and forth strikes that follow this of course um they do then, end up yeah. in that strong style back and forth section don't they they do as it is the super strong style 16 um o'reilly then gets taken back by that looks like it's going to fall out the bottom rope springs back with a nigel mcginnis-esque clothesline mm. really really quite a nice clothesline there um Mm. Robbins with the upper hand hits an insane Frankensteiner uh, from the top rope. The height that um, O'Reilly achieved off of that was pretty pretty intense. Yeah, it really was yeah. um, one hell of a one hell of a Frankensteiner. Um, are we going to um, oh, yeah. while we're actually here discussing Frankensteiners? Um, are we going to um, agree on what the difference is between a Frankensteiner and a, and a Hurricane Rana and make that canon at this stage? Because I, everyone kind of struggles with which is which, um, but my personal opinion is that it becomes a Frankensteiner if it spikes their head on the canvas. What would your thoughts be? Okay, well, this was a hurricane rider then. Oh, okay. I wasn't trying to correct <laughs> you. I was, legs. I was genuinely asking you um, what your thoughts were was between the difference. But then there's also like a plant rana, like when they plant their head. Mm. Which 
could be perceived as a Frankensteiner as well, but it's not because it's more of a Hurricane Rana driver than a Frankensteiner. So yeah, there is some different variations going off. Maybe we should look into that a little bit more and get the yeah, it's, definitions it's really down hard for to each get one. the official definition, isn't it? I mean, you know, you could. I mean, you could, this could all go back to the fact that a sleeper hold isn't really called a sleeper hold, of course. Um, so you know, there's so the reverse many reverse chin lock. Um, <laughs> I think before that, it's even called a Loxley lock. Um, but I'm not 100 no, percent on right. that. Um, there's there's like really old English ways of saying it, but. Um, I think it all the old the old Loxy Lock. Yes. Dear me. Um but yeah, there's a stomp um that's attempted there from um Paul Robinson towards the end of the match. Um to be honest, my notes were fairly incomplete in regards to this match because I just enjoyed it so much that um I don't know if you if you've ever heard that if you've ever heard of that um famous Samoa Joe um the Samoa Joe match where the, um, the announcers just take their headsets off and start watching halfway through. <laughs> but it, it was kind of that moment with me and my notes um, because it was just, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the drama on display here. There was a lot of pausing and noting and watching. So I tried to do both at the same time. Mm. Yeah, of course. Um, but this one. The head scissor takedown from the top rope was a highlight, though, from Paul Robinson. Um, it... <laughs> it's not a head scissor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, maybe we're talking about different things because I definitely called it a head scissor in my notes. Um, <laughs> Kyle O'Reilly, of course, told a great story um, overall throughout the match. But then, um, what do you expect from Kyle O'Reilly? Um, well, you say that now <laughs> <laughs> because before you'd been like. Oh, yeah, he's really shit. Yeah, I didn't like Kyle O'Reilly <laughs> for a very long time. Now, colour me corrected. Um, good. good. Yes. yes. I, I 100% rate Kyle O'Reilly. He's, for me, he was the breakout star of this entire um, two days, uh, first two days of Super Strong Style 16. Thoroughly enjoyed his presence. Um, how does the match finish, Jay? Because my notes just say um, the match finishes. All right, so Robinson attempts two um, curb stomps. Yeah. Uh, the second one was a step up, turned into a power bomb, and then into a knee bar finish. Excellent, excellent. And Paul Robinson taps out. Really, really good, really good showing from both of these. Great character work from um, Paul Robinson. Amazing, amazing work from Kyle O'Reilly. Um, really, really nice. Um, Jimmy Havoc um, comes back shortly after this, after Paul Robinson is left in the ring in standard progress exiting the tournament style. Um, he comes back to finish some old business. He calls out John Cena. He says that that would be the person that he would most like to fight, but he isn't here. Um, and then schedules a death match with Paul Robinson at Super Strong Style 16 Night 3. Paul Robinson leaves to a standing ovation, um, which obviously shows the level of respect that the fans give for this match um, considering the level of the heat when he first entered it. It's good to see fans gaining respect for a heel over the course of a match and then showing that respect at the end. Um, it's begrudging respect from these fans but it is respect nonetheless. Um, do you feel that that kind of transition from the fans kind of adds to the atmosphere? Oh yeah, definitely. But you know, when he comes out on the next night, they're just going to be sticking that middle finger in his face again, which they did. Oh, of course. So... <laughs> of course. I mean, it's 
it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's um, just yeah. It's... it's like we appreciate what you've done. We we really appreciate the match that you just produced. Mm. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna give you that standing ovation because you deserve it. Otherwise, they wouldn't. Yeah, they boo at the right time it. and applaud at the right time. So it kind of kind of works quite nicely. Um, this match, where would you rank it? Meltzer scale. Meltzer. <clears throat> Tokyo Dome. Yeah. You just uh, just pop it in the Tokyo Dome. Just pop it in the Tokyo Dome, and then I'll give it an eight, an eighteen. I'll give it a three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Travis Banks versus David Starr follows um, this up. Um, uh, Travis Banks gains some nice heat fairly early. He's wearing the independent T-shirt of David Starr is a cool way to immediately gain heat um, when you're entering when you're entering a tournament for the second day. Um, definitely kind of you're a marked marked man and worked really well. Yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I didn't think it transitioned very well with the fans though um, when they were there. Yeah. For some reason. No, it, I don't think they no, kind of picked up on it. But it played really well on the camera. Um, it so, did. The, the character David Starr um, certainly was having none of it. They've clearly got some um, some heat going off from a previous storyline. Yeah, David Starr yeah. entered with a lot less fanfare than on the first night, didn't he? Um, he walked straight to the ring, um, lariats Banks straight out the gate and sends him to the outside before um, Jim Smallman's had a chance to announce either of them. Um, so really, really kind of setting this up nicely. You could tell that there was there was a real heat, there was real kind of level of heat between these two. Oh yeah, um, you felt the hate. You really, really did. Um, Banks ends up being sent over to chairs in the audience, and the two brawl on the outside for a while. Um, these two's familiarity with each other is on display fairly fairly quickly there's a suicide dive through the ropes from banks after a dodged apron punt attempt from um, star heavy brawl style um for the pair of these stars wishes um actually playing against type for both um and the match soon devolves back into grounded strikes between the two neither of them really get an upper hand um as this goes through everything is kind of matched bar for bar and each strike and move getting matched by the opponent neither are capable of gaining position in the early portions of the match to mount a standing offense so it devolves into um neither of them getting above knee level um in the early going No, that's right. And there was a great spot um, coming from the outside as well, uh, where um, Star catches Banks coming through the ropes uh, with a lariat, and then he finishes it with a flatliner, mm. where it leaves him draping on the rope. Yeah, um, a really, really hard-hitting affair. Um, storytelling, it is. storytelling was really high as well. Both these wrestlers clearly know each other very well. Um, every time a standing offensive move, such as say a suplex, is attempted, both hit a short spring lariat and end up in the kneeling position again. So um, there's this, there's this kind of 
back and forth exchanges between the two um, with their offensive moves being quick both having to keep their movements fluid to avoid offense whilst jockeying for position to get good enough placement for offensive moves um, this is a masterclass in the position game within the ring um, it leads to fluid exchanges of slams kicks pins and submissions with each hitting but being met with equal levels of fighting spirit throughout the early portion of this match um, would you would you say that's fair I would say that's very fair mm. I mean some of those spots for instance I believe that um, I believe that you kind of um, kind of noted to me um, when we were when we were doing our, our pre-show discussion um, where, for instance David Starr's super kicks or other other little spots there that kind of jumped out to you I know. I mean, David Starr has a really good-looking super kick. That was on the outside. Mm. Uh, that was before the um, close oh, line was into it? the flat line. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. And then there was yeah. a, there was a segment where there was a serious punch and chop. Which is I like have a sting. It was a very sting move to do. Uh, shotgun drop kick by Travis Banks into a double stomp into the corner, um, which gave him the advantage at that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, yeah. after this, uh, throughout this first section of the match, at least, the flow is not dissimilar to Malenko and Benoit in early ECW. Um, each connection is being either countered or paid back with an offensive move of equal measure, allowing neither of the two to get an upper hand over the long term. Um, Paz counts a double pin um, relatively early, um, but after a good five minutes of this section um, and Jim Smallman interjects to say that this is a tournament and they need someone to progress. Um, everybody collectively stands up and goes, hey, it's the name of the promotion when he says that, of course. Um, he demands that Paz rings the bell um, and quote, we will fucking carry on, end quote. So just a really nice bit of British attitude there. Yeah, definitely. And then from there, from there, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just um, rewinding myself in. Um. <laughs> So um, the two get to their feet and um, they start um, moving towards the outside. Being the crap out of yeah. each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Star hits a DDD over the second rope, which breaks them over the rope. That was onto the apron, which doesn't affect Banks in the slightest. Uh, Star comes in off the ropes. Banks is already back to his feet, brings onto the second rope, and then he hits a springboard kick. I believe there is a name for that, but I did not write that down. Bad play. Um, and that's, that was to a two count. Uh, Star hit the uh, Black Heart Crusher for the two. Uh, this transitions into a cross face. And then to the outside they go and Star, tr Star is trying to powerbomb Banks on the outside. But it is blocked. Instead there was a suplex. It looks like uh, they're going to get carried out as as starts the count, um, um, looks like Star may make it back in. Yeah, um, I mean, it was a suplex onto the ramp, just so you know, it's called a slice of heaven. Um, that second rope in Suguri. Um, Thank you. No problem at all. Um, and obviously then into the crossface and lion's cl clutch before this suplex 
onto the ramp. Um, the ramp sounds really good. When a slam occurs on it, does it not? I just really like how that, that plays. sounds absolutely brutal. Yeah, absolutely brutal. I mean, you can feel you can feel that it's made of that kind of um, the same thing that um, band crates, you know, the ones on wheels, um, are made of, and it's a really kind of it's like a wooden ply ply board with a with a um, mottled plastic top. Um, really quite quite painful it certainly sounds um the pass starts to count both out as they continue this and travis hits a german on the ramp um just as the two are starting to get to their feet to try and start running to the ring um so it's almost um banks's message that rather than settle this match and have um the both go back in the ring he would much rather interrupt um, interrupts Star getting up and do a German. That is how intensive his hate is, putting both of their places in this tournament at risk. Um, really quite a nice piece of storytelling, that, isn't it? Definitely is. It's like he's, he's gone past caring about and moving forward in the tournament and just wants to hurt Star. That's all he wanted to do. And that thud mm. in the back of the head was loud. Yeah. I really do not envy David Starr um, after that. He must have cluster headaches for days. Um, this leads, of course, to Pac, uh, Paz counting the 10, um, which whew, a count out at this stage. Yeah. Um, to get to their feet, and they start to they start to schmaltz throughout the place, don't they? They, um, they, they brawl. Um, just pull apart, um, and it just starts starts really getting involved throughout the throughout the arena, doesn't it? Yeah, it's one of those back and forwards. I'm going to jump on you, pull you away, kind of brawls, um, and then Jim Smallman. Yeah, he comes. Like, calm the fuck down. Yeah, he comes along and tells them to calm the fuck down. He tells them off like they are naughty children. Um, he says if they don't stop, they are both out of the SSS 16. Um, he will turn that car right around. However, if they can rein it in and calm down, then the semi-final will be a triple threat match um that leads of course to night three featuring a triple threat um in the semi-final um between travis banks david Starr, and ildra Droganoff. um interesting call um interesting controversy overall um i've never seen um i've never seen a draw situation in a tournament kind of be be kind of worked this way um the first Double pins definitely had that Benoit Malenko written all over it. Um, the match itself told and reflected this finish really well. However, I felt the use of the double count out at the end was maybe not the best booking. Um, given a bit more time, um, I feel that they could have carried the match on once more and ended it with a double TKO. Um, it would have would have just kind of had that best of three kind of feel. Um, would have mirrored the Benoit Malenko match that they've so clearly been influenced with. Um, I understand time constraints can sometimes cause this kind of thing to kind of end a bit shorter than we had kind of hoped. But I think that had they have got into the, had they have ended up um, restarting the match a third time. Um, and then leading to a TKO in the middle of the ring with a pair of super kicks right at the end, that would have been spot on for me. Um, and this would have been this would have been kind of a match that kind of sat up there with with that um, Malenko Benoit series that they were looking at. What were your thoughts on that 
And it's the first time I've really questioned the booking of a of a super strong style sixteen match. So yeah, no, I didn't find that the double counter was a bad thing. Mm. Um, it, it's not the story of the high intensity of the match all the way through to the point where they're so exhausted they couldn't get back up to answer that 10 count yeah no I understand that yeah. I, un- I do understand that and it did tell the story it's just for me um, I feel that it would have had that extra push had they have um, had they have restarted the match got them back in the ring um, after after some pull aparts and some kind of some kind of stuff and then immediately they'd both just wailed on each other as hard as they could straight to the head with like um, a pair of a pair of roundhouse kicks or similar and then just immediately immediately been both out for the 10 count from the referee um, and the announcement being made by Jim Smallman after that, that to me, I just feel would have would have led to this story. It would have been the cherry on top. But I mean, that's just me. That's just taste, I guess. I'd, but with it, with starting the match for a third time, too many times, too much like WWE. Possibly, yeah. I mean, maybe they were trying to avoid that kind of that kind of comparison. Um, but I mean, even though those of us that have seen the match would draw that comparison anyway, but people who maybe weren't aware of the Malenko Benoit match probably wouldn't have been able to work out how it had drawn such heavy source. Um, obviously, it was a different story from the match that I keep on referencing, but it was a good fucking match. Really enjoyed it. Just a bit shorter than I'd have liked, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, after this, we got a Lucha Rules six-man tag match. Jay, do you ever seen a Lucha Rules match live before? <clears throat> yeah, not live, no, hmm. but... Yeah, I've seen, I've seen one of on Of course, TV. for those not familiar with the Lucha Rules concept, because it's not something that has um, bit, uh, entered syndicated or national television um, before, um, and is certainly something that's more popular on the independent scene, a Lucha Rules match is one where um, it can be a tag match um, with standard tags, but the more preferred way of um, tagging would be to roll out of the ring, um, and from that point on, whoever enters the ring from your team next um, is considered the legal man. Um, in this case, it was done by um, a random draw um, with the um, remaining um, eliminatees from the first night of Super Strong Style 16. Um, so we got the team of Chris Ridgway, Darby Allin, and Lucky Kid versus um, personal favorite DJZ, Chris Bucks, Brooks, sorry, and Artemis Spencer. Um, yeah, really, really kind of. Um, interested in this um i yeah really really interested in this match um <clears throat> so djz entered first in his super cool techno outfit um with the lights um i i want one i just want one of those um i really Really want one. Just want to sit in my yeah. bedroom, turn it on, turn the lights off, and just have a whole yeah, good time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, Mr. Spencer, he looked good coming in. Um, interesting to see what the British Columbian can do in a Lucha Rules match um of course chris brooks entered third probably has the most stylish music in the organization 
Um, and of course, Darby uh, Allen entered next Darby. on his skateboard. He is, of course, a um, skateboarding champion, um, I believe, from Australia. Is, is that, do you know where, where he's from? Um, America. Uh, yeah. Um, so he's Massachusetts. Quite possibly, yeah. From... Um, from what I understand, though, he did used to be a skateboarder, did he not? Well, he decided that he didn't want to um, walk down the ramp, so <laughs> just skateboarded down instead. Yeah. Um, he yeah. was a professional skateboarder, um, and for some time he apparently lived homeless, according to his Wikipedia page. So it does look like he did make that transition at some point. Um, of course, um, after his match the previous night with Paul Robinson, I was very much looking forward to seeing what he offered um, in this match. Um, lucky kid. He entered to his usual dubstep thing um, and that weird um, that weird Star Trek walk going off um, there. Um, what are your thoughts on Lucky Kid? I'm kind of on the fence with this guy. Um, I like his in-ring ability. Uh, entrance and character needs a bit of work. Yeah, I would say opinion. it's kind of like what a twelve-year-old would imagine a scary character to look like, isn't it? Yeah, but he doesn't really portray a scary character. He portrays a scared character. Yeah, <laughs> who can wrestle? Yeah, that's it's it. Yeah. Quite well. It's a bizarre kind of kind of dichotomy that we're kind of presented with when we watch Lucky Kid. Um, Chris Ridgway, who I believe has a black belt in something. Um, is the last one, um, uh, well, last one in, and as usual, um, fans are behind him. Um, obviously, this is probably your second viewing of Chris Ridgeway. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Chris Ridgeway overall? Um, well, from seeing him uh, super strong, star sixteen, uh, I'm feeling impressed. Wondering why he isn't in a slightly bigger promotion maybe he wants to stay where he is i mean obviously progress is a phenomenal promotion who put on phenomenal wrestling shows um some some people mm -hmm. would think he would go to wwe or maybe japan which is what he's doing yeah. now i mean he's, um, he's not going to be out of place in in japan is he in japan no his style fits that yeah. so well um so he's probably yeah. made the he right is... choice he, um, is he is the quintessential um, post-British strong style independent wrestler, isn't he? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, no, he he's. I don't know him. Kind of, I've got a similar similar kind of style, yeah. haven't I? Um, yeah. Which can kind of work with any other style if 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 done right. It means it's strike heavy. It's mat based. Um, a few high flying moves here and there. So yeah, no. Yeah. Um, He's yeah, definitely, definitely uh, got the tools to make it, I think. As I mentioned earlier, the teams for this one are decided by their relative sides um, in the super strong style um, draw. Um, this leads to an exciting match um, and a legit competition feel as both teams are completely fresh in their work with each other. Um, obviously, really unusual teams. What did you think to the mix of the teams here? Well, it was more of a, you're still here, you've been on the card, let's just throw you in a tag team. But the mesh of styles, obviously, 
Was yeah, I mean, if it has that classic exhibition match feel, doesn't it? In that it's 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 more just kind of a service to the fans to show them to show them what can happen, um, and kind of give them something completely different from what they'd usually expect to see in a clash of styles that are completely different. As I mentioned earlier, lucha rules mean that one member of your team slides out the ring, the next member in the ring from your team becomes the legal man. Um, yeah, they established that pretty early yeah. on um, within yeah. within the match. Yeah, they did. It wasn't um, it wasn't actually announced to the um, audience there what Lucha Rules is. They worked under the assumption that most people there would know. Um, I would have been flummoxed <laughs> had I been presented with this, at which point I would have had to um, elbow Jay and um, ask him in a very quiet voice so that no one heard me um, because I'm a proud motherfucker. Um, DJC and Ridgeway started. Um, nice map-based start between the two. Um, DJZ does his usual early match clacks and hits, um, gets a massive kick from Ridgeway, and both slip out over the next exchange in order to establish, obviously, the Lucha rules to everyone else. Um, Artemis and Allen then end up going for a great exchange. It, called, it culminates in a fantastic code red from Allen before Brooks interjects himself and Germans Allen from a sitting position really nice german suplex there um do you think um i i don't know if you um were looking at the time of this code or even remember this code red um do you think alan has probably one of the most convincing code reds in the business at the moment because i certainly do which is unusual for someone of that size yeah, what did he do? He hopped on, didn't he? He just hopped on the back and flipped it yeah, over. Yeah, I mean, it's quite clear yeah. that Code Red's one of those moves where it's quite clear it takes cooperation from both parties to some degree to pull it off, um, especially when someone like of John Cena's size does it, or, um, you know, even even some luchas sometimes look a little bit um, look a little bit flummoxed when they do it or, or look a li- little bit like they're cooperating. But um, Allen has that size advantage that's there enough that his pure moment momentum as he flips over looks like looks like jumping into it is the only thing that Artemis can do in response to having that weight come over his back and as a result it looks it looks incredibly convincing um really really did like that um like that code red and I would almost go so far as to say it's probably one of the best in the business at the moment um Alan yeah as Amazing Red is now retired. Well, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, Alan ro- rolls Alan. out um, and Lucky Kid enters. And um, at that point, Brooks and the Lucky Kid have a little face down. Um, they have history. Um, they're partners and opponents in Fight Club Pro. Um, they high-five um, before Brooks attempts a schoolboy from behind. So it's a nice way to indicate to the to the fans in attendance that these two do have um, the history that they have. Um, yeah, not much, not much I can really ask you about that. Um, so I'll just continue because I've, I've actually got some fairly thorough notes to this one, if you don't mind us missing your notes there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quick, yeah, crack on, mate. Play. Um, Brooks soon sets himself up as the heel between the two um, and betrays Lucky Kid. The in and out happens a few more times. Um, so much of it makes play-by-play difficult from my perspective. Um, we do hit a high point um, when DJZ pins Lucky and Ridgeway at the same time and both kick out. Um, this is via a um, German suplex crossed with um, a bridge 
um, a bridging leg lock of some kind. It's, it's really hard to describe. You'd know it if you saw it. I'd know it if I saw it. But no, really, really good piece of work there from DJZ. Really innovative. Um, Lucky hits a double pin shortly after against Artemis and DJZ to answer that, of course, keeping these two teams neck and neck. Um, Darby Allen has a good flurry of dodges and weaves against Artemis and Brooks culminating into um, what I am going to describe as the stun dog thrillionaire, um, which <laughs> is a springboard um, stun dog millionaire, of course. Um, Artemis Spencer starts setting himself up as the man to watch in the match, though. Um, him and Ridgeway get some good exchanges in. A lot of high offensive kicks and pins moving into ankle locks as these two as these two really um, go at it. Um, overall, out of these six competitors, what would uh, who would be your pick as probably your favorite showing out of this lot um, so far um, as of night two, super strong style 16. Um, who would be your well, pick? Just... Who would be my pick? Who would it be? Let's have a think. Um, I would go with, um, I've got well, a few actually, so there's Spencer, um, Alan, and also originally. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive. Um, yeah, those those I'm three. Uh, I'm gonna go with Darby Allen. That's fair. I mean, I'm a massive fan of Darby Allen. Um, obviously, he's the type of performer that thrives in this type of environment. He's a spot heavy wrestler anyway, as shown on his first night um, with. Um, oh, what was his name? I did. We had Paul Robinson. There we go. Um, on his on his in his match with that, he was very spot heavy there, but it flowed in a way that um, doesn't always happen um, in other spot heavy kind of kind of match types. DJZ is a personal favorite of mine just because of the level of character, um, but Chris Ridgeway really do like Chris Ridgeway. Um, really, really think he's got a great gimmick and just a really kind of cool thing going off with him. So. Um, yeah, series of great top rope exchanges um, to the outside, of course. Ridgeway surprises us all with a diving rear naked choke. <laughs> uh, after a series of trust falls, of course, um, each of the individuals um, slowly um, trust fall and plancher uh, to the outside. Chris Ridgeway um, then is left in the ring applauding while all five are outside. He he jumps to the outside, lands on his feet and rear naked chokes his opponent. A great sequence in the match just adds a bit of levity to the entire thing. Um, the other note that kind of comes to my head is um, where DJ Z was standing on the middle rope, Brooks and Spencer on either side, and has them both pull the middle rope in order to propel him across the ring. Um, so he's standing right in the center of the middle rope, um, and his two partners are either side, and they pull it up, and um, he performs a leaping DDT. The insanity of this spot is the height he gains from it. He practically... He practically high-fives Sting on his way through. It was that high. Um, really, <laughs> really good spot. And the aerial control he has on the back of that, as well as the timing of the uh, of his two partners, just unique offense, memorable spot. Probably one of my one of my spots of the year, um, <laughs> if we're keeping track. 
Um, towards the end of the match, what would you, who would you say um, really kind of was there anybody who stood out to you um, in regards to this um, as kind of being the the MVP of this of this match, or would you would are you still going with your Darby Allen? I would definitely go with Darby Allen, but the MVP would definitely Chris mm. Ridgeway. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, the finish is a really nice one. Um, lucky kid, he distracts the referee. Um, and while he's doing that, Darby Allen hits a double stomp with a skateboard while Ridgeway holds Spence in a standing supine position. Really, really good match. Um, light, not too heavy. Um, interesting exhibition showcasing a styles clash um, within a tag team wrestling format rarely seen um, outside of um, the independent circuit. Um, two teams we definitely won't see again um, due to their individual makeup and the fact that this was put together as it was. So all in all, I would go so far as to say that it was one of the best matches of that night. Jay, any thoughts? Any any closing thoughts on that? If talking, if we're talking best match of the night, I would seriously be looking at the um, Devlin match, Carl Fletcher. Um, I mean, Devlin and Carl Fletcher for one-on-one action, certainly, absolutely amazing match. Um, but with this match obviously like you said he kept it light there was high high flying moves left right and center it was yeah. fast pace it's just something yeah. really really nice to see if sets up before you yeah, watch the main um, event and it's it, it, it kind of it's both a piss break match but also a match that's worth seeing as well so that's kind of good it kind of shows how to how to pace yeah. something like this um in a, in a nice kind of way that that really get keeps people engaged throughout wherever they wherever they are using that opportunity to get that final drink in of the night or wherever they um or wherever they are sat riveted um either way really rated this match and it was probably the, it will probably end up being the most evergreen match of the night as far as I'm concerned um, and that it will be the one that you can easily just insert into any any box setting of, of just random wrestling matches um, that just poke that in the middle to kind of give yourself a bit of light, light kind of relief um, of course a more serious um, match with a lot of people, um, a lot of people kind of banking on um, the result and kind of very, very important to a lot of people. As, as you know, Progress Wrestling has some of the most passionate fans um, in the UK is, of course, the title match between Walter and Trent Seven. It's a Progress um, World Championship versus Atlas World Championship Universal a uh, unification match, sorry, universal, um, a unification match. Um, yeah, were you anticipating it? How was your anticipation for this match? A fever pitch. <laughs> uh, this obviously has a big match feel because you're, you're unifying both the singles championships within mm. the promotion. Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. the very first one as well. So... You obviously get that big field match going in. Obviously, going into it, Trent Seven is is hyped and has been saying that Walter doesn't deserve it because he doesn't respect yeah. the title, as he didn't respect the yeah. title that he was holding at the time, because um, he just gave it up. That would be the, the Atlantis of Championship. So, 
Yeah, and he's he, what was gone gone and beaten Tyler Bate, and he beat Pete Dunn in, in NXT UK uh, for the UK Championship. So he's now like the last member of British Strong Style to go yeah, against Walter. And of course, it's it's also made better sweet by the fact that both um, Pete Dunn and um, Tyler Bate have. Um, wrestled their last match at progress for quite a while at this stage um yeah it kind of builds up nicely there is a pre-match build video as well um really really well produced um it's got a nice background of moonlight sonata tells the story nicely it builds the match as the biggest title match in progress wrestling history and to be honest it's hard to argue when you do watch the build um Really, really well told, well told um, in regards to the story up to that point um, with that promo. Um, Trent Seven, he has a lot of fans. We've literally both independently noted that he has his game face on. Um, we literally have written that word for word on both of our notes. I'm looking at them side by side on a screen right now. Um, Walter has um, a strong contingent of fans in the arena as he does any any arena, but Trent Trent definitely looks ready to go. Um, Walter comes out with everyone singing his song as you've as you've kind of noted there as well. Yeah, that's the standard thing, isn't it, with Walter and the Ultras? They, they yeah, love a bit I mean, of Walter. he enters this match as someone who, nece- who necessarily doesn't sit on a moral side. Um, he is more a force of nature in that when you're built like that, um, you don't very often need to be underhanded in order to win, and that's how he comes into this match. Um, you don't need to worry about being a bad guy or a good guy. His dominance in any ring is a foregone conclusion, um, and so he's treated more like the equivalent of um, the monster and disaster movie whenever he enters an arena at this point in his career, um, at least to the UK fans. Um, they know he's coming. They know it's going to be epic and booing him ha- will make no difference than cheering him. Um, the audience respect the ring general um, at this point, even if they don't like him. And I think that's one of the reasons why his popularity shines through. Would you say that that's a fair assessment coming into this match? I would say that's very fair. It reminds me of, of a young Andre yeah, the Giant as well. He has that he has that special feel to him, doesn't he? Um he's he's one of those people who later in his career is not going to need a belt to be over. He just needs um he just needs that gimmick to be embedded internationally in the fence, um, much like say the Undertaker or um or Andre the Giant or of course um third wrestler, you know. Sean Michaels there you go Um, but yeah (laughs) what I I can I can I can be irreverent sometimes it's my thing (laughs) anyway um, they start off feeling each other out Um, nice European kind of start wouldn't you say yeah I love that beginning yeah it was a nice map based European style going through um, yeah, so they started out with some yeah, locks, wrist locks. Kind of, kind of, of does look very traditional, of course, with the styles of the wrestlers and the builds yeah. of both men. It kind of feels very legitimate um, and very classic English, um, English kind of end of the pier um, kind of feel to both of these guys anyway, isn't there? So, um, yeah, really nice. Um, Trent then 
Yeah, Trent turn then pushes water back, gets in his face, and it all starts to look like a shoot it, at this point. Yeah. Uh, and then he turns around as the ref pulls him away, then also with a clubbing forearm to the back, just drops yeah, Trent I mean, seven. Trent does not yeah. back down to an angry Walter. Um, Walter goes for a big chop across the neck. Um, and every time one of these men chop each other, you can hear the entire arena wince um, and probably um, certain parts of um, certain parts of London wince at the echo. <laughs> it does sound like a it gun's really going It really does. Um, I does. mean, Trent Seven whacks Walter hard in the chest with a strength that sounds like a gunshot shortly after this and Walter stares him down before the third strike um, kind of hits um, and then gives a great shot um, Trent gives a great shot to the leg um, to counter that, and it's kind of this very, um, very kind of wily veterany feel to that exchange. Um, it's like Trent Seven could only, could only kind of chop. Um, he chopped him in the ch- chest. Um, it got faced down by Walter, and his immediate answer to that, rather than going for the chest again, was to just give him a nice little whack in the leg and just kind of surprise him. And it, and it, it worked really well as a. Into yeah, a DDT. Yeah, classic Trent Seven. Yeah. Um, it is classic Trent Seven. That's <laughs> right, Rich. That's <laughs> right, Rich. Stop cribbing my notes, Rich. <laughs> of course, um, Walter um, eventually ends up on the outside um, and does the Trent Seven move of hitting the ring post after a dodge. Um, Trent Seven spot turned around um, and caused one of Walter's biggest weapons, his right hand to become an injured risk at him. So you're starting to get that storytelling. There was a point where he, he did a massive chop and he forgot to sell it for a second. And he was like, oh yeah, oh my hand, oh no, I've got to sell that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the story the story over the next kind of five minutes was Walter um, trying to power through the pain of that, of that turnbuckle hit and um, starting to use that right hand again to dominate seven this does eventually um start eventually doesn't it um with walter starting to starting to kind of pick up as it goes so this is where this this is where um walter starts to slow the match down take it to the ground start applying um locks chin locks um really, really taking that heel kind of um yeah pace. of course i mean the key yeah. to a match with walter seems to be a job of absorbing um you you have to absorb the early punishments in order for the fight to outlast um his um lower stamina as, as being such a big guy you kind of gotta let him tire himself out as he beats the fuck out of you and then fight beyond it um Trent Seven's, well, Which hasn't yeah, exactly. Yet. Um, but I mean, that's the that's the story that's being told in the ring um, as Trent Seven starts absorbing all of these all of these punches and all of these hits. He spends the first ten minutes or so of this match overall being beaten senseless, um, and it's kind of a kind of a nice kind of. It's kind of a nice piece of storytelling before he um, starts to hulk up a bit, um, strong style against a flurry of kicks, um, which leads to Walter eventually getting slapped out of the ring and being hit by a fantastic spot 
through the ropes. Jay? And beyond that, and beyond that point, uh, there, there was a section um, where the commentators started talking about how Tyler Bate threw the towel in for Trent Seven, which was in yeah. NXT when he had a knee injury, uh, to try and say there's no one here to save him this time. There's no one to throw in a towel um, as he's getting yeah. beaten. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of tells um, the story yeah. of Trent Seven kind of now having to make it on his own after. Um, after training these two prodigies who kind of no offense to Trent seven, of course, but um, kind of outshone him eventually, I think is the story that's been told here. Is that, would you say that's fair? Yeah. Well, it would be, yeah. Um, and he is now there to prove it, that he can make it by himself. Like you just said, and Walter dominates yeah. match. You can say yeah. that there, there was, wasn't much offense by mm. Trent seven within this match um, it was more of a trying to get back in position where you can create some kind of offense to take control but Walter always was able to bring it back and slow the match down and yeah yeah I mean, one of the bigger points in the yeah. first act of the match um, was of course um, Walter hitting a German suplex was it not it was yeah and it folded it really up like really did um, I mean, Trent starts kind of overcoming at that point and st um, after that and tries to um, start moving in towards um, kind of capitalizing on that tiredness. Well, that's the thing with Walter Kayfabe. Obviously, you think he's tired, but he's always got yeah. that reserve. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he yeah. keeps it in one of the many, many folds on his body. He is, he is a big guy. Um, he really is. Um, so yeah, there's this um, <clears throat> there's this attempt to mount some offense against Walter um, that continues, um, and then it kind of spills outside, does it not? Yeah, it just spilled outside um, when when he's trying to gain momentum. Um, yeah, like a dive, perhaps. Yeah, to Trent. Di yeah, dive. He does dive to the outside, uh, takes yeah. out the front row completely. Um, yeah, it's lucky everyone moved out of the way because they <laughs> yeah, would have been flattened. Been. Those are two absolutely <laughs> massive guys. Um, of course, there's this dragon suplex, um, which, I mean, your your notes on that say, what the fuck, um, which I think is... Yeah, for Trans Seven to pull that off was yeah, absolutely was insane. How I deep mean, it was as well. He really got that nice and deep and really got his really got his arms in nice and deep. Um the back of the head of Walter there just whacking um whacking on the on the ring itself. Um and a two count soon followed, which brings the match into its second act. Um both men have now started taking both. substantial damage. Um, and it's now about both competitors moving forward by reaching deeper into their arsenal to cause those higher damage desperation moves. Um, yeah, seven attempts of twisting sent on yeah. shortly after this, and his back gives way, um, and we get a shotgun drop kick from Walter, which um, was one of the heavier shotgun drop kicks I've ever seen in my life. Um, we see the 
old school southern style mounting of an offense here with Trent Seven kicking out of a vicious power bomb. Um, but there are more steps on the ring general's road for the remaining member of British Strong Style as this moves on. And the question that's being asked throughout the match is can he make it up that road, as it were? Um, brutal strong style slaps back and forth. Um, probably one of the better fighting spirit slap offs of the weekend between these two. Yeah, both their both their chests were looking red. Yeah, raw I mean, by it's by the fact point. that you get a great um, you get a great view at the end of this of the welt marks um, across the chest of both of them, bruises, lines of broken skin. This is across both of their chests. Um, really, really quite something. Um, as it ends, um, you, uh, sorry, after that, seven ends. There was an end refusion. By Trent, um, yeah, this was um, Emerald Fusion is from yeah. the rack position, is it not? Um, it's it's not from the rack position. Oh, no, yes, it was an attempt hammer. at the burning hammer. Um, so this is from a like a firing carry yep. kind of position, and then you flip them over into a slam onto the side. That would oh, be Emerald okay. Fusion. Um, a sit down yeah, slam basically. Yeah, I mean there was a um there was an emerald fusion um as you as you mentioned um and Walter does um end up in a bit of a precarious position um when um sorry seven ends up in a precarious position after failing to get Walter up for his burning hammer position. Um Walter's clutch um happens uh, and um there is a um grab of the rope with um seven's foot a great deadlift from walter um showing shades of wembley but in reverse um this was the deadlift german um do you remember that spot ah, well, we saw a deadlift german from walter um that was almost an identical um copy of the one that tyler Bates did on him but one of the interesting contrasts for those who remember the wembley one was of course um the fact that walter was able to pick up trent seven um with absolute ease as he did it really really good kind of callback there to a previous walter match um and yeah, Trent ends up splayed on the floor shortly after that as a um, single down TKO um, count attempt happens, which it's been a while since I've seen somebody attempt a single single down TKO count there, but it actually gets a seven count against Trent before he's able to get back to his feet. Um, yeah, there's um, quite a few... Um, there's quite a few things happening after that. Seven gets power bombed again. He kicks out. Um, it begins to get Walter, um, and the amount of stamina Trent Seven is displaying is starting to become a risk to Walter. You can see him visually um, get quite surprised by this as the third act of the match pulls in. Um, deep waters, heavy desperation, hard-hitting attacks um, are becoming the norm throughout this match, and it's hard to find a point of transition where this goes from kind of the middle of the match with the desperation moves and into the into the later match, um, the grind point where it is just pin attempt after pin attempt. It's hard to work out where that transition is um of course you weren't a massive fan of the finish i don't believe were you uh the finish itself i didn't enjoy yeah. the spot with the I belts mean, uh, um 
where they grabbed the belts and he yeah, threw his out and was for, like, oh, we're going to hit him with the belt, ref. benefit there. The referee and gets then... knocked out and Walter grabs both belts. Um, the fans kind of start booing as they're not enjoying the concept of a screwed finish. Um, don't be a dickish, chanted at Walter. Both men end up in the ring holding both titles. Each pulls their respective title out from each other. However, Walter quickly throws him his out of the ring and Trent is left holding his belt as the referee comes up. Walter tries to persuade the referee that Trent was attempting to cheat and as the referee takes the title, Walter then hits a kick and goes into the Gajira. Would you say that's a fair assessment there? <laughs> no, it's a very fair assessment. Good, good. Um, I, I, I had to pause it about eight times to get that full, to get the full breadth of that situation down. Um, and this then leads to. Sometimes yeah. you just gotta do that. <laughs> this time then leads to um, the um, referee tapping out Trent, um, or Trent, um, the referee kind of dropping Trent, but Trent's foot is on the rope, and the referee misses the foot as seven phase from consciousness. Um, Walter, as a result, gets the win. Um, as the referee fetches the belts, there's a nice um, piece of character work there from Walter as he casually walks around the ring and kicks Trent Seven, the unconscious Trent Seven's leg off the rope. Um, but you weren't a big fan of, of this at all. Um, Oh no! It was oh, the belt okay. situation. I was a big fan, um, but I loved, I loved ref didn't see uh, his foot on the rope. Uh, Walter actually made the ref get the titles, um, so he could then kick off uh, his foot off the rope, uh, completing his full heel turn. Yeah, no, I thought I did that like was actually that quite section. brilliant. I thought that was one of the better pieces of in-ring storytelling. Um, and the funny thing is, I did not know the the finish of this match before I wrote my part my part of the start of this match about um, Walter um, coming in as a bit of a tweener. Um, and the fact that they emphasised those elements going into the match to complete the full heel turn um, was a really nice piece of storytelling. I was watching this with somebody who doesn't have a wrestling podcast when I first watched it, um, and um, they actually even mentioned Walter has gone full on heel. Um, and I was, th- I, I was thinking, well, that's great storytelling if somebody who is just a casual viewer can pick that up. Um, really, really nice full heel kind of turn there um, as he goes into being the unified world champion middle fingers all round no one singing his anthem as the show plays itself out um, all in all what were your thoughts on night two Jay night two what a night it was uh, well day we'll just go with event <laughs> Day, day two. Yeah. What a three hundred. Good event. Very good. We'll be coming again next day. Excellent. Excellent. It's a jolly good show. Yes, jolly good show. Because yes. Yes, tomorrow. I can understand that. Um, so yeah, all in all, um, that completes um, day two of British Strong Style. Any closing thoughts on all of this, um, Jay, or anything you want to say that we may have missed? Uh, all in all, it's just just moving how good progress really is, and, and how they do get to their fans, and how they can shock as well. So yeah, so people can't read what they're doing mm. ever. So that's always to see. Um, 
you don't really want to be able to predict wrestling all the time like you can with other companies doing that really well. That was the end of our recording for Super Strong Style 16 Day 2. We will be back later on in this week with Super Strong Style 16 Day 3. Um, please keep an ear out for that episode. It's a very important episode to us. Um, definitely looking forward to doing that. In addition, um, we will also be dropping a podcast um, post-NXT TakeOver 25 i've been calling it 15 i've only just realized it's actually takeover 25 that will drop um sometime over the next few days obviously once it happens we do not currently have any plans to do a prediction show because it's a very short show um but we are very much looking forward to that should be a damn good show um jay isn't currently with me while i do this recording now um but please Give it a listen um, when it does drop. Please remember to subscribe on all of the places we are available to subscribe on. Of course, um, we are, as always, available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocketcast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can find us as well on our JFabe Podcast Twitter. That is at JFabe Podcast. So please keep an eye out for that. Uh, What a great day it's been. Speak to you all soon. Um, Thank you very much for listening.